Amen. We're now going to turn to that precious word. And in God's word this evening, we're turning to Colossians and the chapter 1. Paul's letter to the Colossians and to the chapter 1. We have been looking on previous Tuesday evenings into this letter, the letter from the Apostle Paul to the Colossians, and we're still in the first chapter. And we want to just read a few short verses together, and I leave some thoughts before you tonight, and then we'll come to our season of prayer. And so moving down Colossians chapter 1, we'll break in there at the verse 13. And it's speaking of what the Lord has done for us, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Amen. We'll end there at verse 18. And it is to the end of verse 18 that I would draw your attention. Those words of the Apostle Paul that in him, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And the end of verse 18 gives us not only the text, but it gives us the theme of this first chapter that Paul is writing to the believers at Colossae. He's setting forth the preeminence of Christ. And if you were with us the last time we were in this chapter, we thought about the preeminence of Christ in relation to conversion and what the Lord has done in converting the sinner. In all that takes place in the conversion of the sinner, the Lord Jesus Christ must have all the preeminence. And we drew your attention to verses 13 and 14. And I just read tonight by way of a remembrance of what we looked at the last time. And we did highlight a number of words that appear there in verses 13 and 14. Two of them in verse 13. The first word was that word there, delivered. Of what the Lord has done for the sinner in converting their soul. He has delivered us. And he has delivered us by way of rescuing us from danger. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness. And therefore in that deliverance the Lord Jesus Christ must have all the preeminence. 
Then we highlighted that word, translated. Not only has he delivered us, but he hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And that translation is a removal from one place to another place. It's a removal from one domain to another domain. It's the removal from one kingdom to another kingdom, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's dear Son. And in that translation, what the Lord has done for us, he must have all the preeminence. Then there in the verse 14, we drew attention to that word redemption. It's what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in redemption. And he has redeemed us, as the verse 14 indicates, through his blood. That was the price that the Lord Jesus had to pay in order for our souls to be saved. And in that great work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the tree, he paid the price, he shed his blood, he suffered and died in order that we might be redeemed. And in our redemption, he must have all the preeminence. Then the final word that we looked at last time was that word forgiveness. Even the forgiveness of sins. It reminds us of our guilt. Reminds us that we were hell deserving and yet the Lord has forgiven us. He has pardoned us. He has cleansed our sins in his own precious blood. And when we think tonight that we have been forgiven, we say the Lord Jesus Christ must have all the preeminence in that forgiveness. And so you could go over those terms. He has delivered us. He has translated us. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. And all of that would summarize our conversion. And in our conversion, the Lord must have all the preeminence. It is all a work of grace. And it is all the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we established the last time that in the preeminence of Christ, he is preeminent in the conversion of the sinner. But the apostle goes on to show us that he is preeminent in creation. When you look at verses 15 and 16, the reference here is to the creation of this world and of this universe. It says of Christ in verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And so when it comes to creation, Paul is saying to these Colossians, the Lord Jesus Christ must have all the preeminence in creation. Now, there's an expression there 
in reference to the Savior at the end of verse 15, and we made a passing mention of it the last time. It's an important expression. It says, the firstborn of every creature. And we have to approach that particular expression with great care. Because if we were to come to the wrong interpretation of that phrase, we would be viewing the Lord Jesus Christ as a creature. The firstborn of every creature. If we don't get the right understanding of that phrase, uh, we would reduce the Lord to a mere creature. But the important word there is that word firstborn. Firstborn. And that word does not relate to time, that he was born first in that sense. That word firstborn has to do with priority. The word firstborn has to do with primacy. It has to do with importance and with honor. And so it's not a reference to time, it's a reference to honor and here it is showing that the Lord in creation must of all the preeminence. He is the priority. He is the place of honor when it comes to creation. You think of that word firstborn, and it's used back there in the book of Exodus and the chapter 4. It's used there in relation to Israel. And you know that Israel were God's ancient people. And yet in Exodus chapter 4 and the verse 22, he refers to them there as his firstborn. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Now we would know that Israel were not uh, the first nation. There were other nations before them. But whenever Israel came, the Lord is saying, I'm making Israel my firstborn. In other words, I'm giving them the place of honor. They're my chosen people. I'm going to give to them the place of priority and preference. And therefore, he's referring to them as his firstborn. That word firstborn is used again over in the Psalms, in Psalm 89 and in the verse 27, and it's in relation here to uh, David and the kingship of David. And in Psalm 89 and the verse 27, it says, Also, I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. And so we know that David was not the first king, and David was certainly not the only king in the earth. But the Lord is saying of David, I'm making him my firstborn. In other words, of all the kings of the earth, it's going to be David that has the honor and has the, uh, the prestige, if you like. He's higher than the kings of the earth. Therefore, we can see the biblical usage of this term firstborn it's not referring to time it's referring to preference and therefore the Lord Jesus Christ when it comes to creation he's the firstborn 
He's the one who will have the preeminence even in relation to creation. Back in our Bible reading in Colossians chapter 1, you would see the word appearing as well in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead. Was he the first to rise from the dead? The answer to that is no. You would know in the Old Testament, the miracle was done. There was a resurrection from the dead, a restoration unto life. You would know in the New Testament, there were others by a great miracle of God's power were raised from the dead. And yet Christ is here said to be the firstborn of the dead. Firstborn because of all who have risen and that will rise in the future, the Lord must have the preeminence. He must have the priority there. And so when you come to the term firstborn and we're thinking there about creation, here is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 16 of our Bible reading it says, For by him were all things created. He is the one who is preeminent in relation to the creation of this world and of this universe. Verse 16 shows us here his power in creation. It says, For by him were all things created. And notice the words, by him. It's by the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, when you go away back to Genesis chapter 1 and you read there about the creation of the Lord, the Apostle Paul is showing to us that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by him were all things created. That word, the words by him appear at the end of verse 16 as well. It's repeated, all things were created by him. And you could look at verse 17 and you would see those words by him again. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. Three times over, it's by him. By him. The whole creation and everything within heaven and earth have been created by the Lord and by his power. And of course, in John's Gospel, in the chapter 1, it tells us there that all things were made by him, the eternal Logos, the eternal Word. And we're thinking here about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in creation. By him were all things created. Therefore, when it comes to creation, he must have all the preeminence. He must have all the preeminence. You think of his purpose in creation. You look at verse 16, it says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. For him. There is the purpose of the Lord in creation. All things were created not only by him but for him. In other words, for his glory. The whole of creation was for the glory of God. 
And the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to the Colossians, he's wanting to remind them of the fact that he created all things by his power. And he created all things for his glory. It was by him, it was for him, he must have the preeminence. You see, the Colossians were under attack from false teaching. And the false teaching was Gnosticism. And part of that particular belief was that they taught that all matter is evil. All matter is evil. And this world is made up of matter, and matter is made up of atoms. And they were saying that all of it is evil. It's an evil matter, and it's an evil world. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no. All things were created by the Lord Jesus Christ, by a holy God. And all things were created for him and for his glory. And so the Apostle Paul is refuting the false teaching. And he's showing that Christ is preeminent in creation. And he's showing us here that when you come to that 17th verse, it says, and he is before all things. Now this is a reference to time. We were emphasizing that the word firstborn was not a reference to time. But this in verse 17 is. And it says, he is before all things. You see, his pre-existence is there. Before creation, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three persons in the eternal Godhead were there in eternity past. They were before all things. Before creation, before Genesis 1, the Lord Jesus Christ was there. Paul is saying to the Colossians, he's before all things. It's pre-existence to creation. And then his preservation of creation. Verse 17 says, And by him all things consist. And that word consists there, it means that by him all things are are held together. This whole world, this whole universe that the Lord Jesus Christ has created, it is held together by him. It's by him that all things consist. He's holding it all together. It's good to know that tonight. In a world that comes under threat, they tell us from the climate. In the world that comes under threat from wars. In a world that comes under threat from the economic chaos that we see unfolding in these days. Isn't it good to know that he holds all things together? The Lord is not like the watchmaker. The watchmaker could get all the different intricate parts that come together to make up the watch and he could fit them all together and he could insert the spring and he could wind it up and he could start that watch. He has made it, he has put it together and he can set it down and just leave it. That's not what the Lord does. The Lord hasn't made this world and this universe and called it into being just to step back from it. 
know the Apostle Paul is teaching us here that it's by him that all things consist. It's by him that all things are held together. He sustains this creation. If you were to glance over a few pages in your Bible to Hebrews and to Hebrews chapter 1 and in the third verse you would see there that uh, there are similar words to what we have been reading in Colossians chapter 1. In Hebrews chapter 1 and the verse 3 it says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. And then these are the words I want you to see. And upholding all things by the word of his power. Now you just dwell upon those words. He is upholding all things by the word of his power. And the verb there, upholding, that means to bear or to carry. And so in relation to this world and the whole creation of the universe, we're saying uh, that it's by him that all things consist. It's by him that all things are held together. And as the apostle writes to the Hebrews, he's saying to them, he's upholding all things. He's upholding this world. There's a Greek myth about Atlas. And you've maybe seen the image of Atlas that it was his responsibility to carry the world on his shoulders. And you would maybe see those different images of the Greek mythological figure with the world on his shoulders and he's, he's holding the world. If you ever turn to a book of maps, it's called the Atlas. That's where that comes from. And you may see the actual picture on the front of the Atlas but it's not Atlas who's upholding this world. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who's upholding this world. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he created in Genesis chapter 1, it was by the word of his power. He just spoke. He said, let there be light, and there was light, and he called this world into being by the word of his power, and he upholds this world by the word of his power. And so when it comes to creation, Paul's writing to the Colossians, and he's wanting to emphasize to them the preeminence of Christ. He says he's preeminent in conversion. And he's preeminent in creation. And then he goes on to show them in the last verse that we read together that he's preeminent in the church. Because verse 18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the head of the body, the church. What an illustration that is about the church. You could, if we had time, we'll not turn to it, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you could read how the Apostle Paul enlarges upon that particular illustration about the church being the body and all the different members of the body, whether it be the eyes, the ears, the hands, the feet, 
all the different members that go together to make up that body, that is illustrating every born-again believer. And we're all different, and we're all dependent the one upon the other. And if one member suffers, all members would suffer. What a picture it is of the church. We're all members together of one body. Paul used that illustration over and over again in his epistles. And he's using it here to the Colossians. And he's showing to them here that Christ is the head of the body. The head of the body. No believer can be the head of the body of Christ, the church. No church leader no matter what they claim, can be the head of the church. It's only Christ. He's the sole king and the head of his church. And when you think of that illustration of the body, may the members take their direction from the head. It's the head that makes the decisions. It's the head that gives the directions. And the members must follow the direction from the head if they don't then there's something seriously wrong within that body. If the hand or the arm just started to move all of itself and it's not taking that direction from the head, there's something seriously wrong. And so as believers, we form part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're members of his body, but he's the head. He's the head of the body. And therefore we say again tonight in relation to his church he must have all the preeminence. And we must give tonight the Lord Jesus Christ his proper place. And that's not just to make the Lord a priority. That's not just to give the Lord prominence. But it's to give him the preeminence that in all things, in all things he must have the preeminence. May God bless these thoughts to our hearts this evening and may they help us in our season of prayer tonight. We'll turn to a hymn together. It's the hymn 618, uh, just to change our position.